Hello everyone, uh, welcome to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. Uh, my name is Tom Jr. and as, as always, I'm joined by Mike Murphy. Mike, how are you doing on this fine, rainy Wednesday day? You know, I'm doing okay. I was just talking to you before we hit record. I cannot believe that the trade deadline is right around the corner. Um, this year, I mean, nothing makes sense in terms of time frame and how all the days just kind of bleed into each other because we can't leave where we live and all those things but it's uh yeah it's hard to believe the rangers have already played 30 games and you know we're april 12th is the deadline and this is one of those rare years where the rangers aren't attached to any like there's no big trade expected like there has been in years past like last year we're like oh yeah Crider's as good as gone and then of course he signed so it's a little weird um and it's fun lately for the rangers because they you know something where you look for, like i was expecting us after the night nine to nothing went over philly you know it was a good high tom i expected things to to naturally kind of spiral downwards but some more good things have happened since then in rangers country so it's been an interesting week Interesting is a good word to use. Um, it just seems that, yeah, it's it's hard because you look at how quickly the schedule goes and things that we were talking before we started recording about fantasy hockey and how you have these times where you'll have a schedule where because of postpone, postponements, everyone on your team will be off. And then the next night you have everyone playing because the game's been rescheduled and players that or teams that weren't impacted were already scheduled and it's just a mess but as you said good things have happened um there's some news you know we'll get into you know on, on the positive front but the most uh, immediate of that is you know coming off a win against the buffalo sabers um interesting game uh we saw our old friend uh, dustin tokarski uh you know famously uh Played goal for the Montreal Canadiens in the. Uh, Is he a friend? Conference. I mean, he's an. Well, I mean, I he he was a part of the organization briefly. And that's true. You know what? <laughs> that is true. But I still remember him from Montreal. I mean, it was the classic. Who the hell is Dustin Tokarski? And then it's why the hell is Dustin Tokarski doing this to us? Yeah. And the interesting thing about those two dynamics is that Tokarski only got his shot because of, you know, Kreider getting tripped on his way to the net and crashing into uh, Carey Price. I believe you mean Kreider assassinating Carey Price is what you're trying to say. Well, if you're talking from the Montreal perspective, of course. <laughs> and then with Buffalo, you have Julian Gauthier, who many yeah. have looked at as like a right-handed Chris Kreider at his absolute peak. Um, he finds his way going into the net and lo and behold Dustin Tokarski works his way into the mix and it's been quite a year for Buffalo Sabres goalies um I know recently they had a trade of uh I think it's like Jonas uh, Johansson or or I'm, I'm probably confusing the name, but basically the story with that is trades to Colorado and then uh, one of the beat writers, you know, ethering the guy for absolutely no reason. Like, oh, oh this guy I, is one yeah, of the worst. I remember that. <laughs> it's just yeah, I mean, absolutely no, no chill. Just 
absolutely dragging a guy like dude you, you just killed this man what do you like he doesn't stop pucks in practice he doesn't stop pucks in games he's one of the worst goalies i've ever seen it's like holy hell aren't things like how, how much more grim can things get in buffalo it's it's really bad and then of course you know playing the rangers jeff skinner scored admittedly i was just i felt relief for for poor jeff skinner and and uh and sabers fans but i was uh I was a little uncomfortable when when Buffalo seemed to show some signs of life there in that third period um, before the Rangers put it away. But it's it was a good game, not just because Kreider had a pair of power play goals and Adam Fox is continuing to just look ridiculous and Panarin's picking up points. Mika Zibanejad's continuing to pick up points, which is awesome because we were all like, all right, six points in a period. Please, please, for the love of God, let this be the sign that Mika's turning it around. And he's picking up points, scoring goals, all the good things you want to see, which is a huge relief um, for the Rangers. And, of course, Booch playing the way he's playing with it. Capo Caco, Tom! He had two... I mean, one was an empty netter. But, hey! hey. Capo Caco! An empty netter, which he looked absolutely pissed, like... It was it was hilarious. I mean, even Sam on the broadcast saying that, oh, you can smile about it, but he had absolutely no time for that. And I, I don't blame the kid because I, I would imagine that, like, he's heard indirectly about, you know, people complaining about him as a number two overall draft pick, which is absolute stupidity. Um, there's really no reason for it because, you know, looking at the underlying metrics night and day from last season and and still it's very very young into his career and a lot of interesting shit has happened in since he joined the rangers that uh he might go the rest of his career and the totality of that career may not see the sequence of events that he's seen in his first two seasons but it's good confidence for good confidence for him um it was nice to see him get bumped up to the second line uh, you know, according to you know beat reporters at practice, the, he's going to stay on uh, the second line for the upcoming game against the Flyers with Strom and Panarin. Um, so you know, it's it's going to be good for him, another opportunity uh, to you know do damage against a team that's directly ahead of them. Even even though we looking at it from a numbers perspective, perspective, it's very unlikely that the Rangers will be able to carry up that ground. But if they can do something to bury the Flyers, you know, that's all good in my book. Um, yeah, never but, turn that down. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, Buffalo game was good. Um, and then also, you know, just briefly, uh, you know, since we last podcasted, the two back, the back-to-back against Washington, which uh, they they split – they probably should have won both. Um, it was just a case of the first game where Gorgiev just couldn't control rebounds and Alex Ovechkin by the net mouth, which I don't really see him in that area of the ice all too much. He yeah, you don't. was like he a ki- identical goals there, though. It was bizarre. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like free candy for him and, you know, greatest goal scorer of his generation, potentially all time. Uh, Give him puck in that spot and that empty net. Yeah, he's going to score that 99 out of 100 times. Uh, And they rebounded and 
the next game, and that was really good to see, and them be able to lock it down. And Brett Howden snaps his uh, goal drought, but right. he ended up on the COVID protocol. And uh, yeah, can't catch a goddamn break. <laughs> well, yeah, he potentially caught something, but you never know. But yeah. it's uh, him and Di Giuseppe, and then. Uh, the coaching staff, we heard that Quinn is feeling better, but there is no um, no real timeline of, of anything. We haven't heard anything about Jock Martin. We've not heard anything about you know David Oliver, Greg Brown. But uh, for now, it's you know the Chris Knobloch, Gordon Murphy, and, and Chris Drury show. And um, I think it's been interesting. And, like, again, it's been a couple of games. And based on all the reports we're hearing... Um, you know, Knobloch's been in frequent communication with Quinn in terms of lines and stuff like that. So it's not like you can use this sample of, oh, wow, man, why do we need David Quinn? And, you know, conversely, you know, oh, uh, we don't, you know, why is Chris Knobloch losing, you know, Alexis Lafreniere and all them? Um, but it's still, like, an interesting, like, time because I don't think... Like I'm, I don't know if in other sports we've quite seen this, where you have your minor league coaching staff just sort of drop in and pick up as business as usual. But you know, it's it's good experience and it's it's fun to see uh, different looks and you know how the coaching staff sort of just handles everything because obviously you have the ebbs and flow of a game and you have to deal with adjustments, but. It's been a nice change of pace, and we'll we'll see what happens. They have a pair of games coming up against the Flyers, and yeah. But um, I wanted to talk about a couple of things because I I think that we'll we'll get to we'll get to the news part after this because there there's sure. news to talk about. Good news. Um, you mentioned. Uh, you know, Adam Fox, you mentioned, like, Artemi Panarin. Um, I want to bring up Pavel Buchnevich. Uh, you know, it's no surprise, you know, why I'd want to bring what him up. What a surprise, but, Tom. You and yeah. Pavel Buchnevich, it just yeah. never goddamn ends, does it? No, it doesn't, but I'm bringing it up because uh, our, our good pal Shana wrote a really good story for The Athletic, um, sort of looking at the situation of, of Buchnevich and would he be a better fit in terms of like an extension is he a value as a trade um if you're not subscribed to the athletic you definitely should check out uh shana's twitter feed click the link and then you can sign up i think they have like one dollar a month right now or something but you know make sure you click through her story so shana gets you know the credit for it um you know good for her um but it's it's impressive to me and i was looking this up today because they were tweeting about the lines and they only tweeted about the forward lines they didn't say anything about special teams so i looked it up and buchnevich has 29 points in 30 games so he's one point off a point per game pace um and of those those points it was 20 points are you know, at even strength, and the majority of them are primary. I think he had six secondary assists. And the reason I bring that up is, like, I know that whenever you have players in contract years, you get worried about 
contract extensions, it's like, oh, you know, are you paying someone who, like, they hit a peak and it's all downhill from there? But in the case of Buchnevich, I you could throw out his offensive numbers and you could say, well, you know what, it's a freak year. You're playing the same teams over and over again. You have the opportunity to beat up on teams like the Buffalo Sabres. Um, you obviously have that amazing 9 nothing game against the Flyers, and you know that can throw things out of whack. But like as Shanna pointed out, the defensive impact, just you know him himself, you know five on five, and then also how he's become their best penalty killer, and it's something Who that I don't think that me- exactly. Um, yeah. You know, like I obviously love the guy, and you know I've always said that he's had elements of his game that weren't um, understood or appreciated, and in in some respects he has like a little Artemi Panarin in him in the sense of always with an active stick in his own zone, um, even in the neutral zone, looking to break up plays, and that's how he was able to generate offense. But now. He's arguably, if not the top, one of one of the top two-way forwards on the team. And I think with the way that the Rangers have played, and especially Quinn is this guy that he wants players all in. He doesn't want, you know, a kid coming up. Yeah, they might be talented offensively, but he wants that buy-in. Um, I don't know how you move forward without Pavel Buchnevich unless... It's a situation where he was a piece in a really uh, groundbreaking trade, yeah. or it, it was something where, like, you know, Kraftsoff plays the rest of the season and he's absolute gangbusters, and it's like, wow, this guy is actually further along than we thought. Um, you know, not to compare him to Kirill Kaprizov, who, you know, is older and spent more time in the KHL, but, like, it would have to be that type of situation, and I don't even know if you'd want to use such a small sample to make a determination. Um, but it, it's just it's just wild to me, and it's it's certainly been one of the more exciting things of this season. Yeah, you, you like no matter how you felt about this season, you have to give a lot of attention and credit to what Buchnevich has done with his game. Like, I was talking to Shana about this when she was working on her story. Like, at, one of the things that I kept pitching over the, you know, prolonged offseason, when the hell is hockey going to start, at banter to our writers is, like, who could be the next Jesper Faust? And generally speaking, everyone's like, yeah, it'll be probably Kevin Rooney. Or at least that's what you hope, is the, you know, the poor man's Jesper Faust that you don't spend any cap space on as an effective defensive forward, plays on your fourth line, kills penalties, yada, yada, yada. And what we see instead is Buchnevich developing into this, you know, well-rounded player who is on the top PK unit with Mika Zibanejad. Um, He's, like, the growth of his game in the offensive zone, which I do think David Quinn deserves at least some credit because it feels like he groomed him into being... A more confident player attacking the net than he used to be. But I like what you said about him having a little bit of Panarin in him in regards to the active stick. And like all I found myself saying in my head while you were describing some of what, you know, Booch does so well is just, he's such a smart player. 
And he has found a way to really play himself into being this essentially indispensable part of what makes this team work today. And because of his relative youth, you can build very quickly and easily. You can build a strong case where it's like, yeah, you, you know, you have Capocacco on the right wing, um, but you need another top six right winger. And you know what you have with Pavel Buchnevich. And if you, if he's a guy who can kill penalties and do all these other things, he can flourish with skilled players. He can also make things happen when he's not playing with maybe the best line mates. Like, there's so much to love about what he brings to the table. So, like, yeah, I, I am eager to give you crap because your Buchnevich love is off the ch- charts. But there's no denying how good he's been this year. Um and like looking closer at some of the numbers, I think he said like he had 20 points at evens. He actually has 20 points just at five on five. He has 23 points at even strength, which is like think about that for a team like the Rangers. That's just especially with the prolonged absence of Panarin and and Mika Zibanejad season and everything else. Like keeping in mind those things, like the absence of Panarin and everything. In terms of the guys who have been in the lineup the most, like the most consistent forward in many ways, not I'm not talking about putting points in the box score every night and getting goals and assists, but I really think you can make a strong case it's been Booch in terms of playing well in all three zones, making an impact, making things happen. He's just been outstanding, like better than I thought he could be. Like this is the sort of player we all were hoping Buchnevich would be, and that's what he's been playing as. This is him, to me, playing towards what I thought his ceiling would be a couple of years ago. So it's really exciting to see him play this way, but like in Shana's article and what you brought up is, how do you forecast what this team looks like in a year or two or three and have a team going in the right direction where you don't have either him in the mix making money, and the thing is... Shana looked at some of the cap comparables, and it's not going to be cheap to keep Pavel Buchnevich around. Um, it should help that the market is what it is in terms of the flat cap, where you could hopefully get him at a better rate than maybe he deserves, given his production and everything else, um, and some of his comparables. But, like, if it's not Buch, then you better get someone special if Buch is a part of the trade. And... It's beginning to get to the point, like, you know, we've heard the the Jack Eichel trade rumor. It's got to be four players who were or are first-round picks, you know, to get someone like a Jack Eichel. Like, Buchnevich is starting to look like a guy you could build a trade around, and he's the biggest piece, and uh, the other team would be wise to desire him kind of a thing. So, with all that being said, I kind of want Buch here, and I really want to trade him. <laughs> I, I like too much of what he does... And there's, he's one of those guys who does a lot of things very well. He's not particularly excellent at one thing or another. I think he's really creative. I think he has like awesome instincts in terms of reading the play and going to where he needs to be. And it's hard to find a guy who checks off as many boxes as he does. And I don't... It, it's weird to think about how he's, his future with the Rangers isn't necessarily certain because it feels like he certainly deserves for it to be. Yeah, it certainly does. And I think when it comes to him and I, I've like made reference to it before and 
obviously hockey's a business and teams are going to do what they're going to do and you know but when i look at Buchnevich, i look at okay who are his two closest friends on this team number one igor shesterkin starting goalie goalie of the future pretty important in this organization number two uh, Artemi Panarin, uh, star forward signed, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, pretty important to this team. And then, like, if you want to throw Zibanejad in there as, you know, like a third, and, um, you know, he's still important to the, to this team. So I think you'd want to keep your, your goalie happy. You want to keep your star happy. And I think he's going to do what he can to stay in this environment. Um, you know, he's found a you know comfort for himself and he has gotten that confidence and I, I definitely think that Quinn does deserve that credit because everything we heard from Buchnevich um, you know following the departure of Elaine Vigneault it's the situation where he wasn't very communicative um, wasn't you know very good in tor- ter- terms of developing confidence and you know keeping the players um, or at least in his case you know going so yeah, the potential was there, but you you needed a coach who could say, you know what, whatever happened before, it is what it is. Yeah, there were instances of tough love, but um, you know, you, you definitely give Quinn that credit. And I think also um, just being around Panarin and seeing what he does, and in, in terms mm-hmm. of his play in all three zones, it's wants to inspire you and like I, I think of like the times of the joking like you know going back and forth where it's like oh I tell him you know th- this being Panera tell him to pass me the puck pass me the puck and now he's starting to listen um, so it's it's certainly yeah, the, uh, the confident Pavel Butchnevich is such a delight to watch isn't he like you think back a couple of years ago to the guy who you know he'd like miss a chance or he'd hit the post and you know, he, it would his entire body language. He would wear a mistake on his body, and like when you think of someone like who looks up to the ceiling, like looks up to the rafters, like how the fuck did I miss that? And at the end of his shift, you know, his head's kind of hanging and drooping. He gets to the bench, like you know, if you're a coach, I understand why you'd look at that guy and be like, ah, you know, he just took a dumb penalty. He's beating himself up. I don't know. Like, do, do you? Do you not give him, do you let him skip a shift or do you say like, all right, well, you know what you did or what have you. And a guy who had, you know, kind of, I don't think it's, you know, xenophobic or anything to say that, you know, he was kind of a little fragile in terms of how he handled those things. Or at least that's what he like displayed with his body language. And now we're seeing, you know, the 25 year old version, version of Booch, which is like confident knows what he can do, has carved out a role for himself. This isn't a guy who's going to end up on the third line anymore. This is a guy who the coaching staff knows, he knows all of his teammates know what he can do. And when he's on his game, and he's just been on his game all year long, he's one of the most important players on the team. 100%. And uh, the last thing I'll say, because I I could obviously talk about this guy all day, um, you know, on the Rangers, in terms of goals above replacement uh, from evolving hockey, seven point three leads the team. I'd say that's pretty pretty good. Um, pretty damn good. And damn good. yeah, and I think that it's certainly going to be interesting um, going forward how they deploy ice time. Um, but 
I would just imagine, like, if this guy got into a regular power play rotation, especially considering how much the top unit could use a left-handed shot as a one-timer option or, you know, someone who can conversely pass the puck across to give a righty a one-timer option, he'd have a lot more than 29 points right now. Um, and that would be another element of his game because we've seen in the past he can be very productive on the power play, but I can understand why his minutes aren't there because he's being used um, to kill penalties, but um, that that's just a, another element I, I think that they should uh, look into. Like, to build off your point, I don't think we think about this enough. Booch, with all the points he has, like you said, he's a point shy of a point-per-game player. He has one point on the power play in his last nine games, Tom. And he's just he's producing. And the reason is, is because he's that good at even strength. And, you know, you have to think, yeah, you know, you take him off the PK, you put him on power play one, you know, his numbers would be even better. But then you have to ask yourself what you're taking away from the PK. And also the Rangers are, you know, they're obviously doing their due diligence here, getting a better idea of what Buchnevich is and what he can bring to the team for maybe the next five years or so. It's really exciting to think about a guy like this being, you know, a third round pick that this team finally, finally developed. <laughs> like, it took a while. Um, There's a lot of ups and downs. He spent some much undeserved time in the doghouse at the end of the bench. And, like, the, the player we're seeing this season is so fun to watch. He's just so good. Like, he's not a superstar or even a star by any stretch, but, like, just an outstanding, effective top six winger, which is all you could ever ask for of Pavel Buchnevich. You mentioned third round draft pick who, uh, you know, is, is finally... Who, who made good. Yeah, which provides a perfect transition to Adam Fox. Not a third rounder of the New York Rangers, uh, third rounder of uh, the Calgary Flames, and then ends up in Carolina, and then, lo and behold, the Rangers. Um, I don't want to give too much away, because I know that Kevin is working on, on a story um, in, in this regard, um, so I don't want to, like, you know, you know, cut the guy off at the knees. Um, but it's interesting to me how... Adam Fox continues to be as underrated as he is. And I say this not just because of um, like the consistent things we see about, oh, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes. Um, the most recent like awards watch, which is basically like NHL.com writers, they vote on who they think should get consideration for trophies and then it's tiered um you know Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr get votes Neil Pionk gets votes Drew Doughty ends up near the top but nary a consideration for Adam Fox um playing 24 and a half minutes a night Adam Fox seriously like I don't know if this is a um a thing that people are mad that he like forced his way to the team so there's this uh like oh he sort of went against the system uh of you know like i i don't understand it like i don't know if people are not paying attention like because i can in new york isn't he well yeah (laughs) that's my thing with this is like isn't this kid playing for the new york rangers and 
isn't he obviously the best defenseman on this team and has been all season long and like you know when another guy who has you know kind of a a, a darling guy in terms of what the media thinks of him and his abilities is like Jacob Truba is a guy who has has once or at a time appealed to you know kind of younger writers and more seasoned writers I guess is a nice way to say it and there's oh he can hit and oh look at his underlying numbers bop, bop, bop. but like Truba was out for a good period Fox has just been here and he's been so good um, and like we all like you know on MSG broadcasts I think Joe McAlitty has run out of nice things to say about Fox, you know, so we often end up talking about how much Ryan Lindgren is bleeding from his face, which is the, maybe my favorite bizarre story of the season is how many injuries that have resulted in blood has poor Ryan Lindgren uh, endured, but Adam Fox has been unbelievable. Like, I know there have been other great performances around the league by defensemen, like, you know, you look around like, yeah, Victor Hedman's still Victor Hedman, I get it, but Holy crap, is Adam Fox good? It's... It's... I can't imagine... Like, I keep thinking about that trade with Carolina, like like you had mentioned, which was our transition to get here. Like, I can't imagine what this team would look like if they didn't make that trade, Tom. <laughs> it would be really... Really a mess. You know, maybe... Maybe Nils Lundqvist would be here this year, you know what I mean? Or something like that. You know, maybe things would have shaken out a little bit differently and we'd have, you know, just a different-looking blue line with maybe even the same amount of potential, but the fact is that he's here and there's still a lot of potential coming down, you know, the conveyor belt, but holy crap, he's been good, and it feels like no one is really paying attention. Yeah, and the reason why I bring it up is because if you even think back, right, um, he finishes fourth in the Calder voting, um, and I can understand why... You know, people might go, well, Makar was really good, Hughes was really good, and we wanted to have a forward, so we picked Kubelik. Yeah, it was the wrong year to be a good rookie defenseman yeah. last year, right? Yeah. Right. But, like, as like, Shana wrote a story on this, I wrote a story on this, um, Fox was a lot closer to Makar in terms of ability and production than Quinn Hughes was. And... Like, I understand that there's this thing of, you know, you look at overall team situation and who else you have on a team. But, like, it's not exactly that, like, Fox had, like, a ton of support on on defense. And, like, this was, like, strictly transition. Like, I don't know if they they went into age about it um, because, you you know, he's slightly older, but I don't really think that matters. But when you have that... And then you have, like, this year where he's... I'm not saying he he's uh, the favorite for the Norris. Um, he should be on the radar because, like, obviously, you have a lot of time left. And awards voting to me is going to be interesting because, like, I brought up that you have, like, a whole swath of Canadian media that all they're watching is, you know, the North Division. So, like, that that's all that they're, they're focusing on. Um... Yeah, that so, doesn't help a guy like Adam Fox in any way, shape, or form. Right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, like I said, Kevin's going to write a really good story on this. Um, you know, he's 
been working on it. He's, you know, every time, like, things come out and people make uh, comments, it's just like, I can feel the eyeballs rolling into the back of his head. Um, but, yeah, Adam Fox <laughs> is really good. We're not really breaking any new ground there. But uh, speaking of breaking, uh, we are going oh. to pause for an ad break. Look at you, Tom. Transitions. Just like that, we're back uh, from the break. Um, you know, a lot of good talk on things that uh, have happened for the Rangers, um, and now some things that are going to happen for the Rangers. So, the Rangers will be playing on Thursday. So that will be today. Um, you know, if you are when the podcast drops, yeah, right uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers, and you know. Knock on wood that nothing changes between now and then, but Igor Shashurkin is uh, scheduled to make his return. And I'm really excited about this. Um, I think that uh, it's a lot of fun whenever Igor is playing, if not only for the fact that if the team has a lead late and, uh, you know, they pull the goalie, just seeing him try and score, which he's bound to do one day, and it's going to be... It's going to really glorious when he does. Um, but it'll be a situation where the team is, I would say, almost at full strength for, like, one of the first times this season. And it's coming at a time where you have some guys playing well, and that'll just be fun to see. And it's coming against the Flyers, who the Rangers have played very well against lately. Yeah, the Igor situation has been so fascinating because it wasn't that long ago when... You know, a lot of people were panicking about, oh, man, the Rangers didn't pull the trigger on a Georgiev trade when they should have. We're screwed. Somehow Keith and Kate is challenging, you know, for the second spot. And, you know, it's been kind of a shared crease now. You know, Georgie had to shut out. And that first, the in the games we mentioned earlier where Ovi had the two goals, was really frustrating because for half a second there, it looked like, it looked like Georgie might have had back-to-back shutouts, which would have been... Like, how big of a lift would that have been for his confidence with his numbers this year of shutting out Washington, which had a winning streak before the Rangers finally beat them the next game. Um, but now you have Igor coming back, and um, I really hope that they give, you know, th- like, thanks for coming, Keith Kincaid, but we don't need you for now. Um, it, related news it certainly looks like Hartford could use some goaltending <laughs> every time I look at the goaltending stats in Hartford it's uh Tyler Wall's having a hard time um but to touch back on Shesterkin like it's been a while you know it's it's felt like this has been slow to come around and the Rangers like they did the right thing here it feels like they didn't rush at anything and that's the right way to handle this because uh this guy's gonna be pretty important for the next 10 years or so so you don't want to jeopardize him or do anything ridiculous, especially in a season like this where, you know, the odds are 
pretty heavily stacked against the Rangers getting into the playoffs. And if they, and the unlikely chance that they do get in, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. Like, you know, before the show started, you and I were talking about like, how often is it that the Rangers aren't really tied to a lot of trades? So we're just not expecting a lot to happen. Um, but it, it's, that's interesting. And of course the other bit of news is that the tally Kravstov is in New York and he went through all the, protocol he had to but there is per molly walker and others um by the way follow molly walker she's fast become my favorite rangers beat I really like her and colin stevenson um that we're not gonna see kravstov anytime soon which is interesting to me for a lot of reasons because it looks like this the bizarre coaching situation the Rangers find themselves in, which you mentioned earlier, Tom, might be influencing whether or not we get to see Kravstov in the lineup because there's a chance the coaches want to work with him first um, before just like plugging him in. Um, but what's really fascinating, of course, is it's Knobloch. And Knobloch coached Kravstov last season in Hartford on two separate occasions uh, when he was... When he was disappointed by being in Hartford and then eventually when he came back. So it's like you talked about how crazy this year has been and the first couple of seasons have been for Capo Caco. How about Vitaly Kravstov's story the last two seasons? It just unprecedented weirdness in so many ways for for a young guy who the Rangers have a lot invested in. And um, I'm very, very curious to see what happens. But the thing I keep thinking about, I can't divorce these two names in my head Tom and I'm curious how you feel about it is like this is Julian Gauthier's moment where he has to has to stay the hell out of the penalty box and has to make a statement with how he plays um you know Brett Howden's on COVID list and Kravstov is you know itching to get in the lineup and Gauthier all of us remember that amazing goal he scored but in that same game he had three penalties and he's a guy who, just because of his role with the team, his age, his inexperience, when he has a penalty or if he screws up, he loses ice time. He loses shifts. And he's very quick to lose the spot in the lineup. This is crunch time for Julian Gauthier. And I really hope he performs. And I hope he puts the Rangers in a tough position because it would be great to have a guy who feels a lot like he's cut from a cloth similar to what Chris Kreider's cut from. Develop into a player who can really be you know, a depth scoring threat on this team. Be a guy who makes the Rangers third line have some teeth in the offensive zone or at least in the transition game. I like a lot about what I see from Julian Gauthier but he also makes me be like, Jesus kid stop! What are you doing? Stop taking fucking penalties! Stop! Like and the crazy thing to me is he's not even that physical, Tom. He's just making he just takes like bonehead penalties. I I've lost track of how many of his penalties this year have been like high sticking penalties where it's just like I know you're tall, but just keep keep your stick down, stay out of the box. Yeah, like with Kraftsoff, uh, I tweeted it the other day. It was I was saying I could see if they want to get a couple of practices in for him. Like, he could potentially make... Like, I, w- I was trying to pick when it would be, and I think I said they play at home against the Capitals. Um, you know, if not, you know, the next game on the road, which I believe was versus Buffalo. Um, I'm going to pull this up right now just to double-check. But in terms yeah. of, of Gauthier, 
it's yeah like and in that same tweet i was talking about how like he's got a, a chance to prove himself and it's not that like he's not um proven what he can do it's just that for whatever reason the coaching staff has seen things that they don't like and like he has that raw potential and he has the skill and the speed and it's just putting it together and it's tough because you have to find time for Booch and you have Kako now you have Kratzoff Gautier and then like in all this it's like what do you do with Colin Blackwell like obviously He's not an important piece in the grand scheme of things. He's been really good, yeah. really underrated for them. He's the, a band-aid it, that's been fantastic, yeah. Right, and now you have a stretch where, you know, Gauthier's going to play, going to be on the third line. I'm excited to see him with uh, Lafreniere and Heedle. It'll be a nice compliment to have a righty it's a there. Line, right? as a it's a fun line on paper, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, so... But I'm excited for Kravtsov. Um, I know the team was taking off for uh, Philly and, you know, tweeted a picture of him, you know, getting ready to go onto the plane and all that fun stuff. And it's just nice to see him being around. Um, obviously, there's a lot of hype associated with him. And I know that fans are anxious um, because they've seen what Wallstrom has done with the Islanders and what Farabee has done with the Flyers. Um so like there's this I, I don't know if I'd use hesitancy or regret or whatever but you take what the fan reaction has been at times with Kako and uh, Lafreniere and I can only imagine if Kravtsov gets off to a less than ideal start that you're going to have a lot of um, reactionary takes and I hope that uh, people are kind to that. And I, I, it was nice to see Ryan Strom uh, today, you know, when he was with media availability. He is, you know, preemptively defending Kravtsov and saying, like, you know, yeah, we're really glad that he's here. You know, he's going to be have the chance to have, like, get a couple of practices and get up to speed and, and you know, get used to what we're doing. And it's good for him to say that because this is not like you know, NHL 21, you know, even though, like, at times, you know, we are guilty of this ourselves, we're drag and drop, and, you know, oh, season's over, we're going to call him up, and he's going to play right away and do really, you know, fan-fucking-tastic, but it doesn't always work that way. Um, but I, I think the nature of the schedule, and, and like we said towards the beginning, like, you know, man, it's really close to the trade deadline. Once the trade deadline comes and goes and, you know, it remains to be seen, what pieces the Rangers might try and, you know, trade off um, in just in a, a chance to accumulate assets. But if they're out of a playoff picture, I'd imagine you'd see a lot of cross off. You'd see a lot of, you know, Heedle and Lafreniere and Kako um, just to assess how far they've come along. Because, again, like we've talked about in the past, you know, potential Jack Eichel trade. Um Krasov is someone who could be a piece in, in that eventual deal. He would fit very the, easily, yeah. Yeah, and I think we'll learn depending on how they proceed with a Buchnevich extension. Um, that would say a lot of you know what they might potentially feel about Krasov. Um, I wish it didn't have to be that way because my ideal scenario would be you have like three really good lines, and I think 
that the accompaniment of talent they have on the team, you know, they get one more good center and you have a really nice combination of players and then you have a fourth line that just sort of gets the scraps. But it's uh I'm I'll, I'll, the way I would choose to. Yeah, other exactly. Than maybe trying to super stack with one crazy line with, you know, Eichel, Panarin, who the hell knows what. Um, but you sacrifice depth in order to create a situation like that where you have a super line or something of that ilk. And it's a really unique situation because the Rangers can kind of choose what path they try to pursue. And all things being equal, I like the path of a balanced lineup um, where you pursue these prospects that you invested in and the rangers have a really really enticing stable of young players still and i know people want to see more out of lafreniere they want to see more out of capo they want to see more out of everybody like Keandre miller i i know sometimes has gotten some ire from fans and i'm just like guys there are going to be growing pains we're this team is not going to win a cup next year these kids, you know, are barely at the age where they're shaving. It's going to take a little bit of time for them to get up to speed. And that's fine. And it's fun. The other thing is, it's a fun time to be a Rangers fan. Because you get to watch all this come together. And Panarin will still be Panarin by the time things click. It's just a question of who else will really be around. And I think by the time we get there, Shesterkin will be, you know, a bona fide star in the league. And that's awesome. Adam Fox... His trajectory right now is putting him to be a star defenseman in this league. Like, how many times have you heard Sam and Joe, like, have these little nervous, delighted giggles? They're like, we haven't seen this sort of stuff since Brian Leach. Like, tee-hee. Like, they can't contain themselves. And that's the way a lot of Rangers fans feel. It's like, holy hell is this special that we're seeing this all slowly come together. And, you know... Are there going to be bumps in the road? Are we going to look at the Chris Kreider contract and be like, eh, Jacob Truba contract and be like, well, sure. But it's fun. It's a fun time. I like it. Hockey can be fun, Tom, even even when it's an ongoing nightmare because of COVID. Once again, Mike, you provide the perfect transition for me. Um, COVID. We have... Uh seen at times this year we've had seen teams get shut down we've seen well not shut down but paused i guess would be the better way um to describe it and the montreal canadians are the first in uh the all canada division the Scotiabank North, if you will. They have uh, games postponed through sunday um because of covid um it's I don't know how I would want to like describe it because I would say that the one benefit that we had seen up to this point is that like they were in in a controlled not in a controlled environment like it was interesting to me that they went as long as they did without having positive tests or yeah you know a cluster. I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I know things are different, like in Canada. Like I know, you know, different uh, guidelines per province, and like I know that you know they're working on you know vaccine rollouts in Canada. Um, but 
yeah, it's something definitely to keep an eye on because you wonder, okay, the Canadians are shut down. Is there the chance we see another swath of teams, you know, due to close contact? Um, and, like, I guess the other thing, too, is because of um, the fact of how it's set up, you wonder about, okay, in the Rangers' case, like, they're playing Jersey, they're playing Buffalo, they're playing the Islanders. Like, places you can realistically get to, you know, closely, um, you know, take a bus, take a train, you know, whatever. Although I know they've been flying a lot. Um, but, like, you're going from Toronto, Montreal to Vancouver, like, you have to fly. Going to Edmonton, Calgary, you have to fly. Um, so yeah, Canada's a big country. <laughs> It is, and I've been to a lot of the provinces, and, and definitely once uh, you know this pandemic is is beyond us, I definitely want to visit a few more. But um, you know, it's just notable, just like as we you know look at the list and of players who go on, players who go off. It was notable to see Montreal be the first team to, or first Canadian team to, to have to pause. Um, I don't know if you have any real thoughts on this i see you have your hand up so i will shut my trap before we wrapped up the show i wanted to know what your thoughts were on tim peel you know (laughs) oh man like it's kind of uh, uh, let me start here okay i think i feel in some ways like i understand it this was going to be his last year anyway this is just like early retirement for him he's not losing money yada 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 the thing I have is, like, this is not news to me that makeup calls are made. Um, like, this is not something that is surprising to me. I don't even necessarily think this is, like, in some way, is a, like, besmirches the integrity of officiating or, or the game. I understand why Colin Campbell and the NHL like balked at this and they were like ah fuck Tim fucked up <laughs> right <laughs> with the hot mics but like I'm not surprised by this like how many years have we watched hockey Tom and how many times have we all just muttered like it's a fucking makeup call it's a makeup call it's 100% a makeup call and we all know what happens and it's it, it's just a weird like it feels like this is the NHL's way of saying it's unacceptable but here's my whole thing with this. They're, these are human beings. They make mistakes. There's human error. Like, I don't know. It feels weird to me. I'm glad he's not, like, I'm not particularly, like, a Tim Peel fan or anything, or, or a Tim Peel apologist, any of those things. Like, I know some of the stories, like, I saw there was, uh, I saw Robert Luongo retweet the clip when Luongo was with the Panthers where, I think it was the Blues dumped it in. Like, it might have been Bortuzzo, I think, who dumped it in to rim it around the boards from, like, his own blue line off of a neutral zone faceoff when it hit Tim Peel right in the nuts. And then it went into the net. It got past Luongo. And it's like, oh, that's his legacy. <laughs> He's the guy who get, gets fired for the makeup call and uh, a goal went in off his nuts. It's okay feels a little undeserving um the night like the Wyshynski story with tequila and everything else like an interesting interesting little chapter of hockey history but i don't know do you feel like justice was done here tom was this a little blown out of proportion i don't know so like 
as soon as it was revealed that it was Tim Peel, and I know like a couple of people last night, like before it was official, it's like, oh man, that sounds like Tim Peel. Um, like all the things you said, you know, him getting the the goal that went off his nuts and in the tequila thing with <laughs> Wyshynski. Um, it's a great like, highlight, by the way. If you haven't seen it, you should hunt it down. Just the like, yeah, it's all over Twitter. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, not yeah. that hard to find. You literally just search Tim Peel. Um, so, like, obviously he's a guy that has drawn contempt around the league. Um, I also think, like, the thing about him, too, is, like, I believe he broke his ankle, um, which made him actually hang around a little bit longer. Like, he had been planning his retirement, but because he um, got hurt, like, he, you know, extended his career slightly. So, like, number one, the fact that this guy is retiring and you're making an example like he's pretty much being scapegoated um you know yeah and that's like, that's my whole thing yeah that's the word i was looking for but mike's brain no worky good yeah so you're throwing the guy over the bus you're putting the bus into reverse and you're running over him again as he goes on the way out and like this is not a issue that's singular to him and like the hilarious thing about this and it's not even hilarious is like colin campbell's the one that like he writes the email or it's you know the quotes are attributed to him about the integrity of the game where if you just search colin campbell emails there's a plethora of information that like you know there were nhl lawsuits over concussions and stuff let alone like i know the the link is dead now because like he privated his site but like going back tyler dello was able to put the pieces together that um you know he was getting involved in terms of uh you know calls that were going against his son gregory campbell uh then of the the boston bruins um so like colin campbell is the absolute worst uh person to be talking in this situation and you know uh, folks of an older age will you know, remember that uh, Colin Campbell was uh, a part of the Rangers organization Rangers um, you know, at one point. Yeah, uh, he was part of the 94 Cup team, right? I think, think he, so. he was he... in the organization. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. He was one of those guys. Yeah, where... he, he had to have been because he, he was at the 94 reunion. Yeah, you fill you fill dead air. Start singing. I'm gonna look up his elite prospect staff profile. All right. Oh yeah, but I I can continue. So you know, Colin I Campbell. Said sing, monkey. Know, um, yeah. I'm singing in the ring. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Colin Campbell aside, um, there is a problem with makeup calls and the fact that the live mic or the hot mic rather was him talking to Philip Forsberg at the team's bench just is uh proof of how common this is that and that you know it's not considered you know being uh out of turn to like explain your rationale to the players in front of their bench so like clearly there's been a directive of like you know uh, we need to manage the games and, and stuff like that i mean it's like all horseshit um like every yeah. time that we have like this thing where you know it's like oh um they, uh, you know, we're going to have, like, they're going to strike or whatever. Like, I know when they were negotiating their contracts, um, you know, there were, like, this talk of having, like, replacement refs. But, um, and the league needs new blood in officiating. And, like, I know that they actually have a problem with that because the way you get refs is, like, you need people to come up through the system and, like, 
officials are like really verbally abused at like a lot of lower levels and even like you've been to uh, you know a house league and like how like mean parents can be to officials so I, I don't blame them for not wanting to uh, enter the system um, but yeah he was scapegoated it, this problem's not going away by you know giving him an early retirement it's something that the league will have to address and like I imagine, like, at the next state of the NHL thing, you know, whenever that is, probably, you know, right before the playoffs, um, someone's going to ask about this, and Gary Bettman's going to be like, well, we, you know, we talked about it then, and, you know, it's, we want the integrity of the game, and yada, 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 and it's going to be his way of, you know, lawyering and legalizing around, you know, the fact that they're not really going to do much of anything, um, but, what I will say is that I think that there's going to be even more attention paid to, okay, a penalty's called. Was it a good penalty? You know, was it like really like a shit penalty? What happens next? And is there going to be in the, you know, in the, the games following, like, or is there going to be a change in tendencies? And like, I imagine that some of the, uh, Bright Minds in the analytics community is going to, you know, track this or like, here were the average penalties called per game. Here's how it's changed, you know, is there an effect? But, um, yeah, like, obviously, he, what he said out loud, like, it's nothing that we didn't assume or know, and they're making an example yeah. of him. But, like, if this was, say, you know, a 39 year old referee that had the rest of his career ahead of him, um, I Would imagine the shit cans. Yeah. No. No. But by the way, you were right. Colin Campbell was an assistant coach on the '94 team. Um, his head coach of the Rangers for '94, uh, '95, and then four oh, yeah, years after they, uh, after Keenan didn't come back. Yeah. And he also was briefly the head coach of the Binghamton Rangers, uh, the Rangers AHL affiliate during 92-93. So, yeah, but Colin Campbell, 68 years old. Uh, one more example of old white guys sticking around in, in NHL executives. Yeah. But, you know, that's never going to change, is it? Not like you know, not in our lifetime, Tom. And like, that's, that is a, a whole a, separate podcast. Like, I think of... Uh, I think of George oh, Carlin's boy. bit of uh, you know about politicians. It's like it's a it's a big club, one big club, and you're not in it. And you ain't in it, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> if you want to be involved in hockey, you know, in an executive, yeah. a coach, GM. Um, you got to be somebody's friend or cousin or yeah. Yeah, tough shit, white man. Yeah, got to be an old white guy, and then you got a chance. But yeah, you know, Tim Teal, um, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see if he does uh, a lot of media availability and uh, talks yeah. about, uh, he's probably going to write a book now. Like, you got to write a book time, if you're Tim Peel. Burn it down! My time as an NHL official, um, I c can just imagine, like, the puns to be made, like, you know. Between uh, the Stripes, you know, the Tim Peel expose. I was trying to think of something like around a banana peel, but I think you nailed it there. <laughs> Slipping on the ice. <laughs> the Tim Peel story. 
Well, I I appreciate your your ability to uh, to turn that around pretty quickly. And speaking of appreciate, um, we're very thankful wow. for all our uh, Patreon supporters. Um, we understand, you know, the last uh, year has been difficult. This year has being, sucked, know, everybody. Thank you all for those of you who find a way to keep us afloat with Patreon. You are the reason the podcast continues. Um, each and every week, each and every month, it feels like this misery will never end, and money is tight for everyone, so it means the world to Tom and I, your continued support. It really does. I know some folks have had to drop off or change their pledge. You know, we've mentioned it the last couple podcasts, but, like, we totally get it. This has been an absolute shit show nightmare that never ends. The fact that so many of you are able to keep us going makes us want to do everything we can to keep the show going for you and keep things fun and talk about Tim Peel taking a puck to the nuts and whatever we can to keep things hopefully entertaining and informative or whatever you do when you're listening to the show. Um, we appreciate it. We do appreciate it. Um, and special thanks to uh, A Six Foot Gap, Adam Clendenning, Adam Nahoek, Ian Gaspar, Amriel Kissner, Andre Shikogoff, Andy White. Bjarner Osterheim, Captain America, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Jazen, Frank Menino, Jamie Bussell, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Predzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landl, Pear Juice, Pernil Powerhouse, Sean, Steve Bialbach, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you all for your support. Um, I hope you are all doing well. Hope you all uh, continue to stay safe. Um, you know, like, you know, we said last week, you know, this is a hockey podcast, but obviously, you know, you want to keep the thoughts of, you know, everyone in the world. And uh, like, as the onion says, you know, the, the headline they use all over again, you know, you know, the one place, you know, happens over and over again, no way to stop this. Um, you know, keep in mind the people in Colorado, um, you know, lost their lives in yeah. yet another mass shooting. Um, it's, you know, an important conversation. Hate crimes that against people who are Asian and Pacific Islander descent. And it's been a really rough year. And it feels like each week it gets rougher. And uh, all we can really do is be good to each other. Um, and take care of each other be safe look out for each other um we don't have to agree to to try and get along and i think that's something we all need to take to heart a little bit more because i don't think we get get anywhere without trying to work together tom even when sometimes there are some positions where you don't understand how you can work with people yes yeah we all just do our goddamn best. That's all I can say. Be Ex decent to each other. Exactly. And uh, wear a mask. Try and get a vaccine. And all those nice things. I'm getting my shot tomorrow. So. Good luck, Mike. You. Uh, I'm gonna get a boo -boo. Appreciate you as always. Well, you'll get appreciate a nice bandaid afterwards. They better be giving me a goddamn dinosaur bandaid for how long I've had to wait. If I, if it's just a typical bandaid. Or God help me if it's just like gauze and medical tape. I'm going to be pretty pissed off, Tom. I won't be anti-vax pissed off, but I'll be, I'll be sour. 
I'll be salty. Can I want to know why being grumpy is both sour and salty? How does it get two different tastes? Who made that call? <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Like, oh, he's really sweet. Yeah, I get it. But you don't describe somebody as like meaty. How do you feel? I feel meaty. <laughs> but sour and salty both are negative connotations. The fuck. I don't know how I can top Bitter that. too. Bitter too. That's three. <laughs> it's fucking three of them. I mean, bitter and sour are cousins. We all know that. But for fuck's sake. Did I just destroy the English language at the end of the show? You might have. If anything, it's giving people things to think about. Like, as they're listening to this, they're going to, you know... They're going to hear the hear this. They're going to hear us say goodbye. They're going to hear the outro music go. They're going to switch off, and they're going to be like the rest of the day. They're going to be like, I never really thought of that. What the Bullshit. fuck? Who made that call? That's my question. I say, like, when you're feeling good, you should be feeling meaty. And, you know, for our, for our vegan friends and vegetarian friends, we're all made of meat. So if you're feeling meaty, it means you're feeling like yourself. I'm feeling meaty today, Tom. feeling succulent on that note thank you again for everyone for listening <laughs> thank you Mike for everything that you bring to this podcast uh, enjoy the rest of your day have fun playing uh, D&D and I'll speak yeah. to you again soon feel media everybody bye bye